Good afternoon. Welcome to the Eco News Report. I'm your host this week, Jennifer Kalt of Humboldt Baykeeper. The Eco News Report is brought to you by the North Coast Environmental Center, publisher of our regional environmental newspaper, Eco News. Today, my guests are Jen Savage, California Policy Manager for Surfrider Foundation, and Larry Glass of the North Coast Environmental Center. Thanks for being here today. Glad to hey, be here. Great to be here. So we have two subjects we're going to cover today. The first one is the recent push by the Trump administration to drill for offshore oil everywhere and anywhere, including California. And then we also have some good news from Larry about a recent legal victory having to do with pesticide spraying in schools and other places. But first, we will talk about these renewed attempts to drill for oil off the California coast. And we had Jen Savage on, it was in July. We had a similar discussion, only that was focused on the quote-unquote review of the expansion of the marine sanctuaries, which, you know, the, the marine sanctuaries from San Francisco, Farallon Islands, all the way to Point Arena had been expanded under the Obama administration. And then in July, the Trump administration decided to review a lot of sanctuaries National Marine Sanctuaries and National Monuments. And so we've known for quite some time that this push for offshore oil drilling was in the works. But now we know basically they want to drill everywhere except now Florida. They've recently decided basically on for political reasons that they want to exempt Florida. But a couple weeks ago, Secretary of Interior Zinke announced a plan to open nearly all federal waters to oil exploration and drilling. This would be the largest ever offshore oil drilling plan with 47 leases from Alaska to the Gulf of Mexico and the Atlantic. And there's six leases proposed in California. So, Jen, why don't you tell us a little bit of the specifics about what's being planned and your work to push back against this outrageous plan? Sure. So, as you said, the new draft offshore oil and gas leasing program would open thousands of miles of U.S coastline to oil drilling. And as you said, essentially everywhere and anywhere except Florida has now been taken off the table. So apparently if you are a state with a unique coastline dependent on tourism, you should be exempt from this by that logic. However, (laughs) that's not the way it's shaking out so far. Although the Secretary of the Interior, Ryan Zinke, has promised to talk to all the different governors of the state. But right now what's happened is this announcement has been made. The Bureau of Ocean Energy Management has opened a 60-day comment period so that people can provide feedback on their proposal, and they're going to be holding public hearings in what they call the affected communities. However, here in California, they're having one hearing, and it's in Sacramento on February 8th. As far from the coast as you could get, practically. Right. So that is a Thursday, and it's in Sacramento, so it's hard to imagine that most people who have day jobs that are living on the coast or not in the immediate area surrounding Sacramento or in Sacramento would be able to get to this meeting. We also know that the Trump administration doesn't particularly seem to care what the public thinks anyway. We can see that with the suggestions that they've made for places such as the Bears Ear Monument. And we are encouraging folks to attend the hearing if they can. The good news is there will also be a lot of coastal rallies the weekend before. So for folks who can't come to Sacramento, there's still a number of ways that they can take 
take action. Well, and in addition, there's a comment period, right? Comments are due March 9th. So right. you can submit written comments. And we'll talk a little bit later about how people can do that. But one thing important to note is that there's a five-year plan that's currently in effect that was adopted in 2017. The current draft shows Northern and Central California lease sales being scheduled for 2021 and 2023. This isn't going to happen next month or even next year, and we're going to put all of our efforts towards fighting it at the local, national, and state levels. There's a long history here in California of fighting offshore oil drilling, and lately I've been thinking, gosh, it seems like we're going back to the 1980s in so many different ways. (laughs) People who fought this back in the 1980s have a lot of experience and a lot of strategies to work on pursuing, and that includes the local environmental groups, state groups, national groups. There's widespread opposition from local and state officials in California, certainly, and in pretty much every other coastal state, the governors have come out in opposition to these plans. You know, it's obviously really important that we move towards a carbon-free or carbon-reduced economy. And in Humboldt County in particular, in the 1980s, much of the North Spit of Humboldt Bay was zoned for what's called coastal dependent industrial uses, which are primarily offshore oil infrastructure like pipelines and such. For decades, any other type of use of those lands was not allowed, including all the kinds of light industrial and commercial uses that wouldn't harm the bay that we've seen a push for more of that kind of development lately. And last year, Humboldt County and the city of Eureka got Coastal Commission approval for what they call interim uses on those lands so that we don't have to just reserve hundreds of acres of land for offshore oil drilling, which no one here wants. Yeah, I don't think anyone anywhere wants it. I mean, it's one of those issues that really transcends party lines, which in this sort of current political age that we're in is especially profound, right? Because we're, we're really seeing so much division within not just the Humboldt community, but within the state, within the country. And yet when surveys have been done, I mean, just last year, there was a survey done by the Public Policy Institute of California that showed that over 70% of Californians, regardless of age, income, party affiliation, racial and ethnic background, really consider having a healthy ocean and coast a priority personally and for the economy as well. I mean, I think that everyone gets it. There's not a big outcry for more oil drilling. It's essentially another sign of the Trump administration's sort of attack on coastal states and on California in particular. Well, right. But then again, in 2015, State Senator Mike McGuire sponsored a bill, SB 788, which would have prohibited all new offshore oil drilling, and it died in an assembly committee without even getting a vote. The lobbyists for the oil industry are still very powerful and very rich. Oh, absolutely. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be worried. I mean, the oil companies would like to see the opportunity to drill for more oil, I'm sure. But the general public and even most of the state politicians, I think, are united against it. So, you know, it's just such a a political move as opposed to based on even like people actually asking for it. You know, it's it's not a legitimate. It's not one of those, those issues that the public is saying, you know, has differing opinions on overall. 
Well, right, and back in the 80s, there was a lot of talk about how we need to have independence as far as our energy production and consumption. And there's no way that drilling off the coast of California is going to come anywhere close to giving us energy independence. Yeah, that first started actually in the 70s after the oil embargo. That's when the hue and cry for drilling offshore first reared its ugly head, that I recall locally here. I'd take it back to the Nixon administration. That's that's what I remember was Nixon was a Republican, yet he helped get the EPA started. As crazy as he was, he had some sensibility of the value of our environment. So it's almost like we're going back even before that. You know, we should mention, too, that California is such a leader when it comes to renewable energy. You know, last year there were days where we exceeded over 60, 70 I believe that even over one day, there was 80% of our state's power was generated through renewable methods. And wow. Yeah, so it's not just that we don't want, you know, new offshore oil drilling. It's that we're moving dramatically away from a need for it. I mean, we really are moving toward true sustainable energy sufficiency and not having to be dependent on foreign oil, much less new offshore oil drilling. What we should be doing is focusing more and more of our efforts on the clean and renewable sources that are already proving to be successful and that are benefiting our economy as well as our environment. That's right. And especially not just climate change in general, but we also have sea level rise threatening a lot of low-lying areas here. And we can't just sit back and hope somebody else is going to fix the problem. In fact, there's a proposal for an offshore wind pilot project that hopefully we will be talking about soon. And that's the type of energy we need to be moving to, you know, and just reducing our energy use and then also switching to far less harmful sources of energy. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's a couple of different things for folks to keep in mind, which, you know, one that I'm sure most of the listeners are already aware of, which is that when it comes to oil drilling, it's not a question of if there will be a spill or some other kind of accident. It's always just when. I mean, we've seen time and time and time again, the disasters that happen, you know, from Costco View Sand down here and where I am in San Francisco in 2007, the refugio spill down in Santa Barbara a few years ago, the, of course, the enormous oil spill in Santa Barbara in 1969, which really galvanized the modern environmental movement. And those are just like the big, well-known ones. There's so many that have happened in California in the past few decades that we don't even talk about because they have been overshadowed by some of these other ones that are even bigger. It's just crazy that we would risk not only our ocean wildlife and our recreational opportunities, but California's economy on offshore oil drilling. So there are a number of things that people can do to combat it. They can make comments, as you mentioned, Jen, to the Bureau of Ocean Energy Management and, of course, contact their federal legislators. There's also some legislation that was introduced by Senator Jackson to prohibit new offshore oil infrastructure from being built. That's another piece of, of legislation that will be coming up this year that folks can support. Then there will be some rallies happening around the hearing that's happening in Sacramento, as I mentioned, the weekend before, primarily. So maybe somebody will want to put one together in Humboldt County for the weekend before. If there's any ocean-based organizations up there. Yeah, I just want to add another layer of concern, and that is the air quality problems that come with offshore oil drilling, particularly because we in Humboldt County have onshore wind most of the time. Any hydrocarbons released by offshore oil drilling off our coast would wind up right onshore and stuck 
in the basin around Eureka, Arcata, McKinleyville, Fortuna, with nowhere really to go, just sort of the inversion that sits in there would trap all that there, and then Humboldt County would be suffering with smog basically. Yeah, that would just be another unacceptable result of this. So Jen, you mentioned that there's a comment period and how can people find out more? Just give a brief description, but there are also links on the KHSU archives of this show where people can go and take action, but just describe a little bit about what Surfrider's doing. Sure. If folks go to surfrider.org, you will be led immediately to our Protecting Our Coast campaign from the offshore oil drilling. There's links that people can use to comment directly to their federal legislators as well as to the Bureau of Offshore Energy Management during the 60-day comment period. So that's one way to do it, and there's a ton of information. You know, Basically, the message is exactly what we've been saying. Expanding offshore oil drilling would damage marine ecosystems as well as industries. That would include coastal tourism, recreation, and fishing. I mean, we didn't even talk about fishing yet, but can you imagine like the damage from oil spills, what it does to fishing? Just the refugio spill in Santa Barbara closed down 138 square miles of fishing grounds for weeks. You know, the damage to the economy and you know, the food supply for local folks as well is really profound. So there's just all kinds of reasons why this is a bad idea. I'm glad that the links are on the KHSU page. They are on the Surfrider page as well. Again, that's surfrider.org. So folks can go there to, to find links to make comments as well. And then there will be updates on the different pieces of legislation that are coming out. State Senator Mike McGuire also has some new legislation. So that's something to watch for. Okay. At the national level, too, you know, there are lots of groups that are going to be working on this. And our Congressman Jared Huffman, who's a former environmental attorney, he represents the entire North Coast, and he's pledged to sue and was quoted in the Santa Rosa Press Democrat as saying, I promise you my name will be on a pleading. And, you know, there was a discussion about how exempting Florida five days after the announcement was what they call arbitrary and capricious. And so that's grounds for a lawsuit, jargon for there's no basis for making that type of decision in science and evidence. So we will certainly have more to share about what local efforts are going to be moving forward to ensure that we can't be sidestepped. People remember the liquid natural gas import proposal back in 2003. It was a big wake-up call to the fact that energy projects can really sidestep local and state environmental review. And so there's a big need for us to look at our local rules and regulations and look at what other counties and cities have adopted and try to figure out how to make sure that that doesn't happen so that we don't have to divert all of our energies yet again to fighting a terrible project that nobody wants. Absolutely. That was perfectly said, Jen. And that reminded me that there are, at this count, 17 cities and counties that have passed resolutions against new offshore oil drilling. The city of Arcata is one. Hopefully the city of Eureka and the county of Humboldt and, and all the cities up and down the North Coast will join in that effort. I mean, that's a pretty simple thing for 
an elected body to do to say no. And then back in the 80s, as you mentioned, you know, when this was another, once again, had been a real threat that had come up, a number of jurisdictions passed ordinances against new offshore oil infrastructure. And so I've been doing some research about that. But that's another thing that people could ask their local elected officials to do, which is to deny the opportunity preemptively to install new offshore offshore oil infrastructure because, you know, if worse came to worst and the Fed actually allowed new offshore oil drilling and some oil companies went out there and put in some oil rigs and and proceeded to drill, then they would not be able to bring it to the shore of California to process it. And then that would effectively make it impossible. So there's a lot of effort to, to create that sort of plan B or C or whatever plan letter you would assign to it in the worst case scenario. So that's another thing that people can ask for. That's actually our strongest move because while they can preempt us when it comes to trying to ban offshore oil drilling and and those sorts of things, land use is something that remains the local jurisdiction and the feds can't come and change our land use designations. So if we say we zone out basically all offshore or onshore support for that, that is our way forward. Right. Humboldt Baykeeper and the North Coast Environmental Center and Epic are putting our heads together and looking at all the different options and strategizing. So stay tuned for next steps on that. And Tom Wheeler of Epic and I are working on an article for the upcoming Eco News. So people can stay tuned, look at the Eco News when it comes out, and of course, follow our Facebook pages and websites and all that sort of thing. And we'll keep you posted on that. So Jen, thanks so much for being with with us today. Is there anything else you want to say before you sign off? Sure. I would just throw out there one more thing, which is that local business owners, it's really important that you make your voices heard as well, because, you know, the environmental organizations, we do this work and and we're in contact with elected officials all the time, but the business community sometimes isn't heard as much on environmental issues. And of course, having clean water and healthy beaches is imperative to all the businesses on the North Coast. So I would just make a special plea for folks who own their own business to reach out to their elected officials and tell them how important it is to you to not allow new offshore oil drilling. That's a great point, Jen. And we have a statewide network of businesses that rely on clean water called the Blue Business Council that our statewide network of water keepers founded. And if any business owners are listening and want to learn more about that, feel free to get in touch with me at Humboldt Baykeeper and I can give you more information about that. It's a great network, makes it really easy for business owners to get active and have their voices heard in Sacramento. Okay, well, have a great day, Jen. Thanks so much for being on the Eco News Report. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to being back home in Humboldt soon. <laughs> yeah, I'll see you next week, hopefully. See All you right. Then. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Eco News Report. I'm your host, Jennifer Colt with Humboldt Baykeeper, and I'm in the studio here with Larry Glass of the North Coast Environmental Center. And we were just speaking with Jen Savage, California Policy Manager for the Surfrider Foundation. So Larry Glass is here in the studio to talk about a major victory that just was announced, and it's basically a legal challenge of California Department of Food and Agriculture pesticide spraying program that involves spraying schools and other areas with really toxic chemicals. 
Larry is with the North Coast Environmental Center, but he also represents a group, SAFE, which is Safe Alternatives for Our Forest Environment. SAFE is a member group of the NEC. It's a Trinity County-based group, and they're one of the plaintiffs on this lawsuit, along with the City of Berkeley Center for Biological Diversity Environmental Working Group and our colleagues at Environmental Action Committee of West Marin and many other groups. So, Larry, why don't you tell us a little bit about this plan and why SAFE joined the lawsuit against it. All right. Well, you have to go back to the mid-2000s because that's when this all started. CDFA has come forward with a number of these programmatic EIRs. We would file against them, challenge them, and then CDFA would yank them at the last minute. So this went on for years. It seemed like every year they'd come out with a different version of it. So a programmatic EIR is basically an environmental impact report that would allow... That covers the entire program. So they don't have to keep doing an EIR every time they embark on another part of the program. This one document covers all their actions under the program. Right, which would mean once it's final and approved and not legally challenged, they could just go out and spray at schools and other places without noticing the public or getting input about specific schools. So it was schools, organic farms, and people's backyards. Organic farms? Yes. Why would they be spraying organic well, farms? that's what that, <laughs> you know, we asked that a long time ago. So like I said, this has been dragging on for a long time. So what happened finally was in about 2012, they came out with yet another version of their many attempts to blow by a, a PEIR, programmatic EIR. This one was a little better than the other ones. The other ones were just so blatantly awful that they just never, I guess their own legal counsel would tell them, no, no, we can't, we can't sustain a challenge with, of this. So they, you know, like I said, they usually withdraw them. This time they didn't back down right away like they always have. So there was a lots of different groups spread around the state that had made challenges to this document. So when they didn't back down, and they actually certified the document and then went forward and started spraying right away. Then all of us got together and tried to form a big alliance. Initially, there was like 50, 60 groups in this sort of alliance, but a lot of them were gun-shy of going to court. So eventually the number sort of whittled down, and there was about five of us, kind of actually smaller groups. And so we weren't sure who we were going to get to represent us. We went out, like small groups always do, begging for help. So then we got some of the bigger actors. Pesticide Action Network, PAN, joined us. That was a big help to us. And like you said, Center for Biological Diversity came in on board. They had been pursuing their own angle. All all these people had been kind of pursuing their own angles, and we all sort of joined together, found this law firm in San Francisco that would represent us, and then filed our action. But that was, I mean, that was all the way back in 2014 that we filed our original action. And this has just been vegetating in the courts (laughs) for all this time, waiting to be heard. And then, you know, like maybe six months ago, we had an initial hearing, and it looked like we were going to just lose straight out because the judge balked at giving us any kind of injunction. 
and it didn't look good. But he was listening to our arguments. I mean, there was a good dialogue in the court, but the actual lack of a ruling that came down at the time had us very worried. So we were kind of taken aback, you know, when this week all of a sudden he finds in, in favor of everything that we brought up pretty much. And this has, besides spraying backyards, organic farms, and schools, it was with no notice. So they could do it. They could come on your property, come on your organic farm, go in your kid's school, spray and not tell anybody. So this would be like for if there was some kind of pest that they felt they had designated as something that needed to be sprayed, even if it was on private property. Correct. You know, they have some way of weighting how dangerous any particular pest is. You know, and pests, you know, can be an insect, it can be a plant, it can be a mold or fungus or all of those things are covered under pesticides. So, and I I see in this press release that you gave me a lot of really, really toxic chemicals. I mean, methyl bromide, chlorpyrifos, chloropicrin, which is basically a chemical warfare agent that causes (laughs) pulmonary edema, which is your lungs just leak fluid till you can't breathe anymore. Outrageous. The neo, however you say Neonicotinoid. Yeah, those are, that's the one that's been just wreaking havoc on our bee population around the state. That one's the one that is, has been doing so much damage. So this program has been implemented. They've sprayed over a thousand sites since we initially filed our action. So that's what's so gratifying is for the court to just shut them down and say, you cannot do anything else under your document. Your document is basically invalid. You have to go back to the drawing board, come up with a brand new document. You can no longer go forward with this program. So then the next steps are basically that the California Department of Food and Agriculture will try again and the plaintiffs will sue again if they have the grounds to sue and think it's an irresponsible plan. The findings here are significant when it comes to CEQA generally, and that's one of the things you and I were talking about off the air. Is like this is not only significant for CDFA when it comes to this particular program, but this is all of their EIRs suffer from these same flaws, in in my opinion, and that is that they always come up with this bogus baseline that they claim is they don't have to go back and look at a real baseline. They just have this artificial one that they come up with, just like they did with their cannabis EIR. They have a baseline that's ridiculous. So they set the existing conditions, in other words, at a level that they say, well, so our plan's going to make it better. Right, exactly. And so, so since the court found with us on the baseline, they found with us on the cumulative effects, which we... We always bring that up. So they found with us on that. If this stands, now I'm sure the state will appeal this. I'd be amazed if they don't appeal it. So if it stands when it gets to, to the appeals court and, you know, knowing the state, they might take it all the way to the Supreme Court of the state of California. So I don't know. But if this stands all the way through, this will have long range impacts on all of the things that CDFA signs off on. And and the state of California, even for that matter, when they do an EIR, they do it to their benefit, not to, not to the citizens. Well, and you brought up the cannabis rules at the state level, CDFA is the lead agency for cannabis, is it not? 
Oh, yeah. And their document is, in the opinion of CEQA experts, pitiful. And even that is being ignored by the state. So their document says there can't be any more than a one-acre grow, max. And then the state comes out with his regs and completely ignores what CDFA's environmental document says. So the state is always pushing the envelope, trying to, you know, they will make a business obey the letter of the law. But when it comes to the state itself, they just do what they want. And so if it's not for environmental groups uh, stepping up and challenging these things, they would just steamroller right over us. But I mean, I just want to emphasize that they were allowed to come into your yard and spray your yard without telling you. They didn't have to notify you. They just do it. Well, just like with the offshore oil drilling, you can go to the KHSU archives page and you will see more information about this court decision. And I'm doing a story for Eco News. So the next Eco News will have the complete details. Right. I also want to mention the group whose name I love. I don't know anything about them, but their name is Moms Advocating Sustainability. I just love the name of that group. And they were our strongest ally in the beginning of this. I, I would give Nan Wiesner, I would give her credit for organizing all the rest of the people to come together for this. So, yeah, they were they were great. Well, that's great news, Larry. And Thanks so much to everybody who fought this. I know that you are a grandfather and you have a school-aged granddaughter, right? I got another one in in the oven, so to speak. (laughs) So it's really important. You know, a lot of the spring that goes on in schools, the parents are unaware of. And, you know, all that lawn for sporting events and so on, sometimes it can be sprayed on when your kids are on vacation or, you know, during breaks and stuff. And it's there's not enough notice to people about these kinds of things. People should have at least, even if you're somebody who wants to use them with discretion, you want want to know. You don't want to be unknowingly exposing yourself to particularly dangerous ones or your children or your pets particularly. It's bad for. Okay. Well, thanks so much for coming in, Larry. All right. It's good to have some good news for a change. Yeah. If you'd like to get on the Humboldt Baykeeper Action Alert list, you can send an email to alerts at humboldtbaykeeper.org, and then you will receive notifications of upcoming opportunities to weigh in on the offshore oil drilling and everything else you can think of that affects Humboldt Bay. This has been the Eco News Report. My name is Jen Kalt of Humboldt Baykeeper, and I've been your host for the past half hour. I was speaking with Larry Glass of the NEC and SAFE and Jennifer Savage of Surfrider Foundation. If you have any questions or comments about this program, please call our listener comment line at 826-6089. If you'd like to replay this interview or share it with others, you can go to the KHSU archives at khsu.org. You can also see it on the Baykeeper Facebook page. And we're also now podcasting, so you can subscribe at iTunes. The Eco News Report is produced at Humboldt State University in cooperation with the North Coast Environmental Center. Many thanks to Fred McLaughlin for engineering. Join us again next week for the Eco News Report.